0: evening
1: (laughs) i thought you were going to be doing some sexy webcam lady stuff
0: oh sorry no i was um i was beatboxing while i was with you you were beatboxing just just yourself yeah well because i can hear myself through the headphones it's uh, that extra dimension of wanting to just make noises and see how they sound you know I do understand, I
1: understand, and I sympathise. I'm going to try and move this so you've got a better view.
0: Yeah, you were at a very strange angle before. Yeah, it's because... It was like I was in
1: your armpit. It doesn't stretch very far. In fact, I think that is literally as far as uh, excuse me, stretches at the moment.
0: I don't know what you're trying to stretch, I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> Just
1: suffice to say that I don't want to break it. Uh, or are you, are you stretching the truth? I am. I'm stretching the truth about what I'm stretching. Maybe you're not even there um, at all. I think I am. This is this is too, too heavy a place to start at the very start of our podcast. We've yeah. got to do some strange guff noises first. Yeah.
0: Fart, fart jokes first.
1: Yeah. I do think that because you're online first when we start this and I join, that you should, every single time we do a podcast, you should... Produce a different scene for me to log into. So you would dress up your study in various different I don't know. You could do a nativity scene. You could do like a bucolic, bucolic landscape scene. There's my baby Jesus. Street Fighter scene. There you go, baby Jesus. Toon Link. I'm holding up my little tune Link.
0: That was a Christmas present from my dad.
1: That is a good Christmas present. Yeah. I've I would. Fi- I have to say, I've always thought this about your relationship with your dad. I'm very envious of it. But I think with my dad, I would find it weird if he was as close in interests and personality as you and your dad seem to be. I think it's a great thing. I don't think I'm not objectively criticising it, but I just it's such a different relationship than I have with my dad. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, and when a- when a-, a lot of people say things that are along the same lines, other people I think who among our friends or my friends, their dads are like way more fuddy-duddy than both of our dads put together even. So they find it yeah. very difficult to understand. Um, I think, well, as you know, the the age gap between my dad is younger than some people and their dad's not super young, but maybe like I'm 27, he's 53 tomorrow. So
1: by the time this podcast okay. goes out. Well, my dad's, my dad's yeah. only 50, 57. Yeah. So it's not a huge amount of difference. No, he, I don't think he's even that. I think he's 50... He just had his birthday. How old is he? Either 55 or 56. So it's not a huge degree different. But, yeah. Um, it's just more of a, it's, I feel like you and your dad have a more, it's almost more like friends.
0: It is. It's, so a, it's like, a it brotherly is, it like a brotherly
1: kind of relationship. Kind of relationship. Um, yeah. It's which is, which is
0: cool. I think Yeah. he's always made a lot of effort to keep up with, you know, popular culture and music and stuff. Um, in a way that maybe I think a lot of dads don't. When they get to dad age, they may be a bit more complacent. Yeah. I don't know. He he tries to stay hip, you know.
1: Though so I have seen him wearing his jeans around his balls and mm. wearing his uh, his baseball cap backwards, and he was using all sorts of strange words like "wiki wiki," and it was just, it was, it was more than embarrassing. It was upsetting. Yeah. It he- was it was actually <laughs> depressing and upsetting. So happy birthday, Martin! <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> He describes things man. as things as well dense. Well, yeah, yeah. He he, he actually he sent me that uh, that that cool picture of the woman being bumped by a wolf the other day. Yeah. <laughs> well, his cool friends seen it. Yeah.
0: His cool friend made it. Anyway, yeah, yeah. um, um Well, another interesting thing is that we, we talk, I talked to my dad about social media recently and. He says that he's finally come around to the fact that Facebook is for his generation. And that like he he posts on there all the time. He's like status updates on there every day. And he used to be more into Twitter and now he's gotten more into Facebook because I feel like mm. it's allowing him to connect with people who are his own age and his own age group, his own generation are all really, really getting into it and commenting on each other's statuses in a way that I just can't get into and can't be asked with, really.
1: No, it's... I, I mean... My hatred of Facebook is well known globally. Um, but I. You haven't been yeah, on there I for just, some time, though? Yeah, I haven't been on there for two years. But that was because of my hatred for it. Two whole um, years. We've, we've, we've talked a lot. Oh, I think it's, it might even be longer than that. I'm not even sure. Um, but we've talked a lot about how I hate Facebook. So we don't need to go back into it. But that's oh. interesting. We, we don't need not to. Go argue back. That, no, but would you not argue that our um, our generation—it also belongs to our generation as well? Would you not say? I don't think that our generation uses it any less. Generally, I don't think you're you or I are good examples because you're quite—you like a lot of the newer social media sites, and I don't use social media very much at all. So I don't think we're good—we're good examples, but. If you look at a lot of our our contemporaries, then there's just not. They still use Facebook, and they sometimes use Twitter, and I guess people use Snapchat a bit. I guess and WhatsApp. I don't really know. (laughs) I genuinely don't know. There's not a conversation that I have much um, expertise in.
0: No, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's not necessarily that it's restricted to either generation. But I think I have noticed that a lot of the people I am friends with on Facebook who are of that that age group are kind of taking to it a bit more and a lot of people who are our age are dropping off compared to a a few years ago i think there are still a lot of people our age who do post on it constantly and i think actually some of that does have come down to your personality and stuff as well Mm. Uh, it it wouldn't be fair to say that everyone our age uses twitter either because i know a lot of people our age who don't get it at all but
1: no i really only use it if, if i didn't have a professional need to use it I don't think I would use it. It, I mean, it's become fun. I mean, I only go, I go on it once a day for five minutes, literally in the morning. It's part of my, In the morning I do my emails and I do Twitter and I might scroll through to see what uh, I've missed, but yeah, five minutes, but I do, I I am enjoying it more than I used to. Um, But it's, it's interesting. I think the few people I know who have stopped using Facebook the reason they've they've tended to be our age and the reason they've done it is because of a dawning realization that life is moving on and that they are becoming fully-fledged adults and that there's A, there's more to life than Facebook, and B, there's an uncomfortableness in Facebook controlling your entire life. And maybe it comes at a point where you look back and you realize you've been using Facebook for the last... 10 years and you've actually put a lot of stuff on there from before that time, because now you can go all the way back to your birth and maybe it's approaching 30 and thinking, Christ, I don't, I don't want everything about my life for the next 30 years to be summed up by this, this proprietary website that sells my data and owns my photos and uh, has, is lacking in security and all these sorts of things. And maybe it's that I know a lot of people who are getting to the points of having weddings or maybe starting thinking about having children, you know, they're starting to think about that a lot more and maybe in a way that parents don't because their lives, I don't know, they've already reached that point in their lives. They, they skipped over that point without Facebook and now they've, they're using Facebook because it's fun and they don't worry about that. But maybe because our generation is more tech savvy, we, we like technology more, but we think about its consequences more. I'm not sure which is not the general view. The general view is that our generation or the generations after us don't really give a shit and that the older generations are more cautious. But I, my vernacular evidence is that that's the complete opposite, I think.
0: Mm, no, I th- I think you're hitting on something that's very, very interesting there, which is that a lot of people our age actually are resisting social media and starting to dislike it or have been doing so for years because of the way It affected us at a relatively young age, I suppose you could say we were sort of 18 when Facebook came out. So maybe it's not as bad as for teenagers, but for people our age, um, the ability to share your life with everyone and also to be able to see, you know, not the whole story, but a rarefied picture of what someone else is doing means that you are always going to be comparing yourself to those other people. Mm. Combined with the time when we're in a political climate where Things are really fucking difficult for for our generation you know let's let's be blunt about that from on budget day you know things Mm, are very very difficult so if you're looking at people who are you know buying a house or whatever it might be and putting up a thousand pictures of it you're gonna think fuck you
1: aren't you (laughs) well that's certainly an element i mean but i think that's always isn't that always going to be an element throughout our lives we're going to be 60 and Someone's going to have a second home that's better than ours or have a second home. I think that the the, the, the the cones of jealousy, the, 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 the vistas that we're looking at that make us jealous are all relative. You know, they, it depends on our age. There will always be things to be jealous of. Um,
0: Definitely. But I think we've never had so much kind of unfettered access to the things that can provoke that kind of jealousy. I, th- I think. I think that's got a lot to do with it. And actually, if I'm honest, I wouldn't be on Facebook if I didn't have to run, as you say, a number of pages for professional reasons. If I didn't have to use it as a way to promote the band, I, I do stuff for, for work as well. Um, if I didn't have to do all those things, I wouldn't have an account on there either. I wouldn't bother. But I'd definitely keep Twitter.
1: Twitter's less invasive of one li- one's life. I I mean, I certainly paint a picture on Twitter. In In... I certainly paint a picture of myself that is professionally fictional, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, or has fictive. That elements should be or, your you know,
0: your tagline, your your bio: professionally fictional. <laughs> fictional. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I I definitely do. Not in a, I don't mislead on facts, but you you craft you craft a certain persona for yourself, and I I always have when I write autobiographically. I. I write about myself in a sort of semi-mythical, self-deprecating way. So I usually compare myself to various different creatures, or, or, or which kidneys, is both or... self-deprecating and self-aggrandizing, because I'm, you know, I'm making myself mythical, which is what we all really do when we're writing, or autobiographically, but or what many yeah. of us do. Um, but that's easier with Twitter, I think. Oh,
0: def- and, definitely.
1: Uh, you and I not think a with Facebook, Sorry, go on.
0: Uh, you present a version of yourself whatever platform it is that is specific to that platform and specific to the way that that platform allows you to tell your story
1: okay? yeah it is a story I was looking back actually today I was bored I was looking back over the photos and videos that I posted since I joined Twitter in what like five years ago um, and it's just interesting it is a little series of vignettes of getting better professionally, of going to different places in my life, caring about different things, writing different styles, all sorts of things. I and mean, it's not my personal life. My personal life is completely private. But there, you know, so much about my personal life is intertwined with my work, and I try and find a way to present it, but in an obfuscated way, in a way that hides it, or at least hides it behind a sort of gauze that, that um, fogs it up a little bit. Um, yeah. but it's more difficult to do that on Facebook. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons I left. And as you, s- I left it and I, th- it was interesting how, I don't know what it's like now if somebody stops using Facebook now, but when I stopped using Facebook, it was, it was really seen as a sort of deliberate political gesture in some way mm. that, that you were making a point by doing it. Um, which I suppose was the case, but it really was just because it was making me unhappy. I, I think my particular mental state does not mesh well with using social media at all. Um, The way I view the world and the things that I find difficult, but um, maybe it was a political statement. I mean, Facebook, Facebook has a lot of dubiousness about it and it completely circumferences our lives. You know, if you use it, it and this goes back to the point of maybe you're getting close to 30 and you realize that this wall, this big blue wall has been built around your life. And that that's the prism through which you view everything because you use it every day. It's written and coded and presented and architectured and structured in a, in a certain way, which is decided by some people in America. And maybe there isn't, maybe that isn't good on a global scale. I don't know.
0: Some tech bros in tracksuits and hoodies as we discussed before.
1: Well, yeah, of course. I mean, but it's, it's just because they're our age and our, demographic does that mean that they can make something which at the very level of its code um has relevance to our life or importance to our life yeah Uh, i don't know well evidently it has importance to our life because we used it a lot but is it how we want to define our life
0: no i think i think most people don't don't want to be defined by it it and resist being defined by it for sure but the the thirty yeah. thing is very interesting. How you you're saying about weddings? Um, as you know, I am engaged to be married.
1: I oh. do know that. It's kind of my job to know, that, isn't it? It's, it's your job
0: to know best. that as you're going to be the best man. as well. The best human man. The best human one.
1: man. Yeah, you're not going to be the best dog. No, I. That's a lofty a lofty goal. Or the which best I've been horse. Up on a long time ago. Or best horse. Yeah. Is there be, are there going to be horses there? No, there aren't, aren't going to be horses. Ah, oh, um, oh, okay. I was
0: thinking
1: you um, going to ride in. I mean,
0: when we got engaged, we there's you know not not it wasn't that big a deal, but there was a kind of so when do we put this on Facebook question that kind of ended up hanging over it a little bit. And both of us are pretty chill about that kind of thing, so it was fine. But I'd imagine some people really are likely to obsess about that thing. And the way we did it was a week after, you know, after we'd got back from our trip to the US, we put up one photo and just put it up as one of those life event things. And I haven't really, I've barely talked about it on social media since, in fact, I never even mentioned on Twitter that I got engaged. Like, I never did a tweet saying, hey, I got engaged, because I felt like, I don't know, I just didn't want to. Like, that was almost not what Twitter was for. And then it came up in conversation with someone I only know through Twitter the other day, and they were like, hey, you're engaged? I was like, oh yeah, I've been engaged for months, but obviously... Twitter friends I didn't say that so sorry Twitter friends I got engaged last August
1: (laughs) I do I do find that surprising that you didn't put it on Twitter and I don't mean that as a as a a, a, to be offensive by that at all I I don't I'm surprised that you didn't just because of your relationship with social media not that I think that that relationship is right for you and it makes you happy and that's great um but I'm surprised you didn't I really am um just because you are very open about your life, and um, I don't know why, I'd maybe I can't really enunciate why I'm surprised. It just yeah. surprised
0: me. And it, well, no, I I expect myself to have done that, but actually, when it came down to it, I sort of typed out a few tweets and then deleted them and didn't send them or whatever. And I just thought I worry, even though I am very very open about my life, I almost I also very much worry about coming across as smug. I think that's the, oh, the, the I thing think that happens on social media a lot facebook more than anywhere else is it just comes across as really fucking smug all the time but i suppose if i was going on about the fact that i'm engaged all the time then yeah it would be but yeah i don't know i I worry about that
1: well i think most people who are halfway decent self-reflexive human beings uh, worry about that because there is this sort of panoptic decorum on social media where we are all very aware of the type of person or the type of post that people make where they humble brag or they or they boast and we're terrified of doing that because it's so public um so i think that has decreased to a certain amount within um circles of people who are savvy with the marais of social media but to me i don't know i i can seriously imagine being somebody who would elope (laughs) (laughs) i like I have so little desire. I don't mind being the centre of attention sometimes, like all human beings. But yeah, you've done talks and shows I, and stuff. Well, exactly, and that's it, it's nice. It's nice to have people paying attention to you and watching you and caring about what's going on. But these sort of public ritualistic things, I find it very scary. I find it much scarier than uh, doing a talk or, or, or playing a gig. Um, Mm -hmm. because there's this expectation, the sort of ritualistic expectation behind you. I find it terrifying. You're kind of opening yourself up to centuries of archetype. And, um, yeah, I would like to get married in the bowl of a tree and nobody, (laughs) nobody ever see, (laughs) and then just mention it in passing a few weeks later, which is, tends to be what I do with most big life stuff is I don't really. Especially when you're not on social media. If you're
0: yeah you know, I'm
1: not gonna I'm not going to so, so I I can't remember if I told you that Sarah and I have got a house now up in Derbyshire. Up in
0: Derbyshire. No, you didn't tell me that yet, I, but I expected you were gonna tell me now. So Yes. Yeah,
1: doing, so. so we've got we've got a house near where Sarah's new job is and um I how do you tell like I've been mentioning it to people when I speak to them and they ask how I am. Um but I mean, how, unless you put it on Facebook, Facebook sort of um, permits you to make that very obvious, hey, here's a good thing that happened in my life and for that to be okay. Um, Whereas what would I do? I send a round robin email. And I've, before I've sent a round robin email about something I've got going on professionally and people have said, finally, you've actually told us something that's going on because we (laughs) never know when you're fucking doing anything (laughs) uh, with your work. And I say, well, because I don't want to be I don't want to say, oh, hey, guys, here's this thing I'm doing. You should totally come along. That's, you know, you're not my audience. You're my friends. And
0: but should, I suppose how else am I going to tell
1: people? This would be something which, on <laughs> yeah, this would be something which on Facebook would just be part of the everyday stream of stuff I was posting. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't really like doing it. <laughs> no, that's good I, I like, yeah, getting, good. I, I like
0: getting, um, the, um, the email round review. robin
1: type email from you I think they're e- really like nice e- actually. well good. All good well maybe I'll do a few more I was going to set up a mailing list not for friends obviously because that would be fucking conceited but <laughs> you know but <laughs> yeah. for for people who follow me professionally or follow my work professionally um, who just don't really want to keep track of me on a blog or anything like that I think a, a monthly newsletter you know, it doesn't have to be a lot. Just just keeping track of what I'm doing. Yeah, um, it's probably a good idea. A lot so of maybe people maybe I know my are, friends are, are doing like, weekly yeah, ones now. Yeah, that sounds like a massive fucking commitment. <laughs> yeah,
0: I I would like
1: to, <laughs> I, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't have time. Really, it's another thing. It's another thing to do every week. Remember to do every week. Like even a monthly newsletter, having to commit to that just. Brings me out in cold sweat. But (laughs) I am going to do it because it's useful to my my work, right? It would Um, come around quickly. Anyway, let's stop talking about social media because we always talk about social media. We do, yeah. And that's fine, but...
0: But there are other things to talk
1: about. Let's talk about something. Well, have you have you thought of any subjects to talk let's, about?
0: Yeah, let's see what's on the topic list.
1: Apart from sausage flambé. <laughs> sausage flambé. <laughs> to explain that Paddy uh, <laughs> sent me a text the other day, or an MMS, as I believe they're known, um, of a man wearing, I think he was wearing a tuxedo on a black background, as you often saw in the 1970s. And was he flambéing sausages? It was hard to tell.
0: I think he was flambéing sausages or at least was it, it was set up to look as if he was flambéing sausages
1: and then there or was, was it some a, crump- a crumpet fondue was it a crumpet fondue I thought that's what it was <laughs> no, like I using think... the using the no okay no it I was... think there was
0: fondue <laughs> there was sausage and then there were crumpets
1: okay I have a very low resolution screen on my phone so it was hard to tell exactly what he was doing with whatever brown things were on the desk um in front of him <laughs> But you know, I, I could read sausage flambé, so my mind filled in the gaps.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's all you need. You only need to hear that the words sausage flambe. I mean the picture was really irrelevant, wasn't it?
1: Was that from that website that we laughed at? It was
0: from the Twitter account Seventies Dinner Party. That's where the... People people send in pictures of old like from old cookbooks and stuff showing the horrible, weird food that they used to eat in the seventies. It's one of my favourite Twitter accounts. It's genius.
1: It's it wonderful. was usually it was usually Olives in jelly, or oh. I don't know, <laughs> pineapple mousse. There's or... a lot of pineapple, isn't there? They liked pineapple. There was a certain tropical um, landscape thing going on in food. It mm. had to look like an Umbungo advert. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but otherwise, horrible you doing bright
0: colours and
1: yeah, extremely bright colours and a lot of foliage. You know, yeah. a foliage that you weren't supposed to eat, but was really just there to provide foreground. To, yeah. to the meat. I don't
0: know. If something's really, really disgusting and cheap and horrible, a good way to brighten it up is to slice a cherry in half and put that on top.
1: Yeah. Or preserve it in jelly. Yeah. You preserve it in a mint green jelly. That That's going to look, that meatloaf is going to look a lot better.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm glad we weren't around then and didn't have to endure that and can now relive it through the magic of Twitter. Yeah.
1: I'm glad I was pre-alive then.
0: Yeah. So, what's on the topics list? I wanted to say, going back to my dad, that we're going to get him on as a guest at some point because he That'd heard be nice. the episode where we talked about kind of differences between English and British and American sitcoms and comedy shows, and he wants to talk to talk to us about that. He's going to admonish us I'll, for our wrong
1: opinions, probably. But... I'm sure. I I would love a schooling from um, Dr. Martin Johnston. Yeah.
0: So next time next time we do this he might well be you might might well also be on the on the hangout.
1: Shall I can I can I get some of his um, one of his many annuals for him to sign, to digitally sign? Yeah. <laughs> Let's give him a PDF. And the Justin digital. Bieber one for Stars of the
0: Hunger Games. You can have either of those two.
1: What about didn't he do end dubs?
0: I did end dubs, yeah, but the, it's out of print. I bet I can find a copy. If, gonna- if you can find a copy. That will go for several hundred pounds on eBay. I'm going to
1: go to the Charing Cross Road and and uh, go to go to um, go to those bookshops, and I bet they'll have one sitting at the back somewhere,
0: signed by Dappy. <laughs> yeah, with an X. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or should I say smeared by Dappy?
1: <laughs> As I don't know if he can hold a pen. No, they, uh, they just get they just coat his fist in a thick house paint and. Just, just let him punch the book until he cries himself to sleep, <laughs> which he's quite good at doing. Well, apparently, yeah. I um I don't feel mean being mean about him.
0: No, he's a bad person. He's, he
1: comes. He comes across that way, dappy. He's vulgar he,
0: and he hits people.
1: Yeah, that's not, not a, not a nice, nice thing to do. I believe in you know. I believe in the power of forgiveness, but you've shown no regret, so. Yeah.
0: Well end ups aren't really around say. anymore
1: anyway, are they? Uh no, it appears not. It appears that they have died a death. I don't know what Daffy's he's doing now. He's
0: he, I think he's sitting on a giant pile of golden coins like Scrooge McDuck.
1: I don't think he is. I'm not sure he has that many golden coins left, Paddy, if we're honest. Yeah. I he, think he, he always may spend them all on uh, hats. He did, he did. He spent them all on hats and knuckle dusters. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, so we'll have your dad on. That'll yeah, be fun. We'll do that.
0: And I wanted to, going back to Facebook, not to talk about social media, but uh, you know, these days what, you, what you're missing is that it, it's now on a big nostalgia trip and every day it logs in and shows you something from years ago and says, such and such years ago on this day you were doing this. And yesterday, it was six years ago today that we played our show at the Rusty Bike in Exeter.
1: Oh, wow. Six years ago. Yeah. Son. Can you believe yeah. that? That was a good show. That was a really good show. That was one of the better shows. I uh, We played a set uh, as The Wood Ghosts, and then we all kind of shuffled around, didn't we? And Or it was the other way around, maybe. And then we...
0: No, we I think I... Love... Paddy Johnston and The Love Explosion played first, I think. And then we did Rob Shervin and The Wood Ghosts, because I remember... Playing the keyboard, and then you hitting that floor tom, and that came later on. I think.
1: Yeah, I think that was the Beirut cover. I yep. seem to remember that was fun. I of... seem to remember loads of people from the uni were there, like uh, the, some of the tutors were there, and it was good. Yep. It was good fun. But does it? Isn't it a bit disconcerting to have Facebook throwing up random shit from your past? It is. I mean, Most that's... of
0: the time, I'm like, I don't want to be reminded of that. But when that came up, I felt a real, genuine, nostalgic pang. I mean, that was the first time. um Anna Stacey, who fronts my current band, Palomino Club, that was the first time I really played with her in a band outside of Soul Choir, which we've been doing together for a while, but she drummed mm. for us, having never actually ever played with us before. Um, yeah, I know. And she just kind of picked it up, and yeah, that was the start of that. So that was that was just a nice bit of nostalgia from that point of view.
1: I don't know. Yeah, that's really cool. I, But I mean, most of the time, I don't know, I just think it would being reminded of how many years have passed since X happened is not necessarily a good thing but i don't know maybe I no it
0: isn't you should you shouldn't necessarily be quantifying everything in those kind of terms because everyone's lives move move at different paces especially now i think so yeah you're Mm. right there is an element of that but that one thing was was very nice Mm -hmm. Um, cool what else is on the topic list oh yeah going going back to our earlier discussion of me liking american things um, oh yeah which always makes me feel like you know, there's that episode of Alan Partridge where they're going to have the Bond Marathon, <laughs> and there's yeah. Michael's friend, played by Peter Serafinovich. I mean, what's he he's, called? He, he's an, he's, uh, he, goes, he goes, My
1: name's Tex. And oh. Alan Partridge goes, Text. <laughs> yeah, Peter Serafinovich. Uh, yeah, I, I do have a picture of you dressed like in uh, Stars and Stripes. Cowboy boots, um, parachute pants, and the cowboy tucked into cowboy boots, and then with a Death Cab for t- uh, cutie t-shirt. Two sizes too small. I just I don't know why it's two sizes too small. But, um, because you went you, to you show did, off like, my members. You, you love stuff that tra- that's transatlantic. Yeah, Let's just I put do. it that way. But,
0: but um, I wanted to ask if you've heard about Have you heard of the musical Hamilton?
1: Um, no that's Let probably a good up, thing so i um, can have an opinion on it. yeah <laughs> <A> well informed opinion <laughs>
0: yeah
1: um, hamilton it's an american a musical. A musical hamilton okay this looks to be like one of the founding fathers standing on top of a on top of a a star is yeah. that what it's is it about is it about a founding father oh it he is. looks quite yeah yeah he was the first united states secretary of the treasury okay wow he's uh he had quite a life um yeah he did okay is this a, is this a new
0: it's it's new yeah it's it's been it's been out for about a year it's been, it's on playing on broadway at the moment but you can listen to the the soundtrack on spotify and even just listening to the the album or the original cast recording, it's just really, really amazing. And I haven't heard anything like it in such a long time. And I'm really obsessed with it. And I want to talk about it to everyone. Because it's like most of the songs are sort of quite hip hop. There's a lot of rapping. It's sort of hip hop pop musical, but still manages to retain the core of what makes musicals good. But it made me realize that if I was going to talk to you about it, I'm sure I have asked you before, but I can't remember how you feel about musicals in general, because I know they could be something that
1: divide people. (laughs) I am, in general, not a fan. I have thought to say. so. I like. I don't know. I just feel. I don't know that. I even the ones that are lauded and win lots of Tonys and things like that. They just sound so cheesy to me. I don't know why. Mm. I just okay. When it's a comedy, that's fine. But I don't know. I just. It's just my. It's just my take on them. I. I. Find the switching between not music and music annoying when there's been you know a a bit of actual acting and then and then they go into a song i'm like oh for fuck's sake
0: well some of them are all music though like lame is is all sung but actually like with lame is i always feel like it's really stupid because there's someone sort of barking or bellowing a line that should be said yeah Um, (laughs) but hamilton is is all music there's no there's no dialogue at all but it really really (laughs) works but because some of it is rapping, it's easier to do narrative that way, I guess. Um, OK, so maybe I'll set you that as your homework for next time is to listen to the Hamilton OST and see what you see what you make of it. But I think it's really revolutionizing musicals because it's it's just a completely different and unique approach. And it's really popular. And a lot of people who aren't into musicals have got into it. And it's just it's now occupying a really, really kind of new space in American culture. I don't know if it's ever going to really fly over here because it's like the story of one of the American founding fathers isn't, I don't know, I think because people don't connect with it on the same level as it being part of our own history, they might not really get into it, but there is there are rumours that it could come to the West End in 2017 and I'll be there, but right now yeah. it's on Broadway, so if you're lucky enough to live in or near New York, go see it if you can, although I hear it's hard to find tickets but yeah, it's it's really great
1: So it's so it was off Broadway and then went to Broadway, well it's, it's... Sounds like an interesting conceit. Maybe I will, I will do that. It is remind, remind me to listen to it, and I will, I will get right on that. Yeah, um, or even just the fun. the
0: opening number, which is called Alexander Hamilton. They it won a Grammy, and the guy they did it at the Grammys. So if you just like look up the the performance of them doing it at the Grammys, it's really cool. Or there's also one of um, the main guys called Lin Manuel Miranda, and he's he seems like a, a total gentleman and a scholar. But that he first did it as a rap, just like a rap thing about Alexander Hamilton at the White House, like poetry jam a few years ago. And you The know, White
1: House has a poetry jam? Yeah.
0: Like Obama is a really cool dude. Um, and he's <laughs> well, really uh, into it. Yeah. Wow. And recently, they have a poetry back slam House. night. Went well, people... um, to the White House. They went back to the White House and they did just like a thing, a workshop there for some some kids and Obama was there, and then Lin Manuel Miranda did a freestyle um, uh, uh, with Obama, like holding up cards of words for him to insert into the freestyle. <laughs> it was great. Loved it. Wow! And it made me wish Who... that I could freestyle like that. If I'm honest,
1: I didn't think that. I I always I can't I can't imagine being able to freestyle like like that. I can't imagine many people can actually do it. No, no. I think it's a real a real
0: talent a real skill.
1: It's just, you must have to dislocate something in your mind to be able to do that. You have to be able to shut off. I guess you have to shut off your conscious mind and just let words come in and just completely non judgmentally throw things together without being self critical.
0: Yeah. But what was amazing about this freestyle as well is that he, all, the wo- all the words are sort of vaguely to do with America and American history. And that was the loose theme, but then the words that lin Manuel would pick out to play off and to rhyme generally still seem to fit to fit the theme in the majority of cases. And that I think is where the real talent lies is to make it into you know to an overarching narrative and to have this kind of theme rather than just to as well as playing off the words. I think, yeah, it's it's an incredible talent. And if I was to have a rap battle with anyone, I would definitely lose. Yeah, so
1: he's so he's a he's a rapper he's a a rapping
0: man i think well this is his second musical his first one's called in the heights also very good you can also listen to the soundtracks in fact that one is on in london at the moment and i'm gonna go and see it at some point but it's not as good as hamilton hamilton's his like magnum opus but he was a teacher for a number of years i think he's had a lot of jobs but was always into musical theater he seems like he's grafted he's worked his way up seems Mm -hmm. like a really smart dude
1: awesome Oh, well, I will listen to that, and we can... I'm sorry we can't have a conversation about it now, but I literally know nothing about it. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's why I that's,
0: a, that's a recommendation.
1: Sweet. Yeah, cool. and, I will, and I just wanted to I establish
0: whether you like musicals or not.
1: I usually don't. I yeah.
0: usually don't. I have to say... Uh, did um, you Did you go I, to see them when you were growing up? That's the thing I think that makes a lot of difference.
1: I went to the pantomime, but no my I, so how do you feel about the I, saw some... uh, I mean fine <laughs> you're, I mean it's you're like grimacing just...
0: you're doing a sort of a small grimace
1: say. I feel like all I've done is is rail against thing in a codgery way all of it. I'm teasing the <laughs> codger the last out foot. of you you are oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're teasing the codger out That's that's illegal you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> not on a podcast, don't, anyway. Please don't tease my codger out. Yeah, it's prohibited under EU law. There's an EU directive. Yeah. You, it's not a law, but it's strongly advised. It's like the carbon reduction target.
0: You've yeah. got to
1: get there. You, you've got to not tease the codger out somehow. But um, if we vote
0: for Brexit, then we can be free of the, the shackle, these codger shackles.
1: No, that's a that's a vote for perverts, Paddy. You can't do. <laughs> Are you saying that?
0: Um anyone who wants to vote for Brexit is a pervert.
1: Um yes. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I'm saying that. You can put that you can put that on a little badge. Yeah. and stick it to people.
0: I think that's too big for so how... too much sex for a little badge. You need a big one.
1: Yeah, that okay, or maybe like just a placard or or maybe on a t shirt, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um I'll get that how the are we t-shirt. feeling about Brexit now?
0: Um, I think it's a terrible idea. Obviously, the EU needs a lot of reform. I think there there are a lot of problems with it. But to to extricate ourselves from you know what is you know a very very large and powerful trading bloc and economic force just isn't a good idea, really. Not in, not in the current climate. I think. Mm.
1: What do you think? <coughs> well, i i I think it's quite obvious that I would agree with you. Um, yeah. I think broadly people our age up to about our parents age are probably going to vote to stay in and people older than them are going to vote out i think broadly demographically that's how that how it's going to work i i haven't yet met anyone under the age of 35 who's going to vote out no, um me neither the fact is that you know there, there's no there's no certainty as to what will happen when we leave it's it's unprecedented and that's not a good enough reason in and of itself not to exit just because we're scared of the unknown but there is so much that we will be giving up um and also a lot of the arguments against leaving are complete fabricated bullshit like the um the statistic that 75 percent of our laws are made in brussels um yeah that's not it's just it's just fabricate. it's just pulled out of the ass of someone it's it's It just comes from nowhere and even if you take the far more conservative estimates, which are sub fifty percent um sort of thirty yeah. percent, most of those are tiny little laws about a certain cheese can only be made in one valley in Yorkshire, yeah you know they're not you know what a law does not have to be a huge planet spanning it can be a tiny little tiny little regulation. Yeah. But those and, are the ones that anger people the
0: most. EU I don't know if you think most
1: people are, are angry that they can't make Wens- Wensleydale outside of Wensleydale in Yorkshire. Yeah, I don't know. Give us back our Wensleydale. Or that Melton Mowbray is the only place that can make official Melton Mowbray pork pies. Yeah.
0: I think that that's I've how
1: never, it should be. I've never been to Melton Mowbray, but I imagine it has like a walled town, like an Italian walled hill town, like Verona, but the walls are all made of hot water, cross pastry.
0: <laughs> well, I I have been there.
1: Oh, have you? Because we're going to be living quite close to it. Actually, are I'm you looking forward? To... Yeah,
0: you should visit. It's well, nice. It's it's, 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 a, it's pretty much as you say. It's 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 cobbled. It's it's got sort of old tumble down houses, and there's a. I think it's. Oh no, no, it's not Melton Mowbray. You know. I'm lying. I'm, t- I'm thinking of the fact that um Adam Maleski friend of the podcast we end up talking about in every episode which now we had to we
1: agree well, now he's an in- he's, an in- he's, f- he's he's the he's really the the engine that keeps this conversation going yeah but
0: well, he's Just... he's friend of friend of the podcast mm. um he used to live near melton mowbray and i went up to visit him there once and we walked around the village that he lived in which i can't remember what it was called and and we were going to go to melton mowbray and then i think we didn't um but the village that he lived in had a stone thing on one of the walls that was where dick turpin once got off a horse and shot someone i think there was a bit of Dick Turpin there. did it have a plaque no it just had some carving into the wall i think they couldn't afford a plaque Story cuts. No,
1: I think you've got to be pretty special to afford a blue plaque. I think also maybe not be a criminal. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. there are many criminals that have blue plaques. I
0: don't know. Is highway manning really a crime?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <Definitely> <laughs> I feel like because crime. no one does it anymore, in, in hindsight it seems kind of quaint and nice. But if you it?
1: but if you did it now, it would be a crime. Yeah. Still. If you What caused, would be the equivalent you know, of being a highwayman it'd now? It would be pulling out of a lay-by in your Ford Fiesta <laughs> on a B road <laughs> and, uh, you know, skidding in front of uh, a space wagon and, um, and pulling out a submachine gun and saying, your money or your life, lol. <laughs> that would be the modern equivalent, yeah. wouldn't it? Which, the Ford is Fiesta robbery, highwayman. which is armed robbery, which can land you sort of 20 years in prison. So it is most definitely a crime, Paddy. Yeah. Just because he wore a floppy hat that made him look a little bit like up, doesn't mean that it's a crime. not a crime.
0: Why haven't they done a sort of like sexy period drama about Dick Turpin? That's what I want to know.
1: I don't know. I, in fact, well, I'm not going to do it now because it's boring for the podcast, but I imagine that Dick Turpin was quite an unpleasant and ugly man.
0: Yeah, but um, so was Henry, and the Henry VIII. V. And they got Jonathan Rhys-Meyers to sex him up in the Tudors.
1: So... But he was this he was a sexy sexy sex man when he was when he was young That's when a, he was what? young he was he was a, uh, the lad about town lad about hampton um <laughs> the BMI But yeah pie. when he became when he became old he started to resemble a pork pie in what? a in cade and <laughs> I, I mean um he sort of resembles yeah, a pork pie on top of an eagle owl <laughs> <laughs> it look yeah, it does pretty much. Or a, a pork pie that somebody has stuck some red panda fur to, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um Red Pandas are very cute. See, now now you've been telling me about Hamilton. I I have Wikipedia open and I'm on the White House page and one of the linked articles at the bottom is reported White House Ghosts.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> Read, read me, yeah. read me a White House ghost. Maybe this, right. this could Here be we like go. a feature. We'll talk about this. Talk about a different ghost every week.
1: The White House apparently Abraham Lincoln haunts it. Oh, that would that would make sense. That yeah. would make. Well, yeah. would it? Is I one of know. them the ghost of social progress. progress? Yeah, it is. Oh, uh, Willie Lincoln, his son. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is not the only Lincoln ghost. Witnesses claim to have seen in the White House. Willie Lincoln, <laughs> <laughs> i hate you he was a small boy who died of typhoid it's not funny oh. he died in the white house of typhoid on april uh, february 20th 1862 willie lincoln's ghost was first seen in the white house by staff members of the grant administration in the 1870s
0: how old was a, he when he died
1: he was 12 uh 11 he was 11
0: 11 damn yeah what other ghosts are there so eleven's probably not a bad age to become a ghost because you know what ghosts are and you have some control of language and some critical faculties. So you could probably do some quite good haunting, but you wouldn't be too scary.
1: I think you'd be more. I think it's more scary. I think a child ghost is more scary. I mean, Hollywood has been really, really milking that for the last ten years, pretty much That's fifteen, true. Years. more than well, more than. But there's been a lot of. Um, a lot of child ghost films recently. So many so that they're becoming annoying and not scary. Yeah. The next one will be the Willie um, Lincoln story. The Willie Lincoln story. Yeah. Well, there we go. He does. There's a little picture of him uh, dressed in what looks like a cross between a sailor's jacket and a, a, a racist Chinese jacket. Um, <laughs> a racist Chinese jacket. <laughs> well, it probably wouldn't <laughs> have been racist. <laughs> but I don't know. It just looks like. The sort of thing that a uh, a Chinaman in inverted commas would wear, as old our grandparents would call him. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but he he looks quite scary. He's a little boy in a black and white photograph. Mm.
0: I Who suppose does, actually the, the uh, idea that it it would present you with child mortality in such a tangible form is more scary, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and they're little as well. I don't know why that's <laughs> scarier, but it just 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 creepy. Um, Have you ever seen a, a ghost? ghost? Have I ever seen a ghost? Yeah. Have I ever seen a ghost? I don't think I've seen a ghost.
0: Well, what what are your thoughts on the, the paranormal? Do you
1: well, think it's
0: bullshit?
1: Um, I don't think it's bullshit in the sense... I think objective... The idea that there is an objective spirit... Is, I can't see any reason, uh, as in that there is actually a phenomenon out in the world objectively that people can experience. I'm not, I don't buy that. I'm not going to sit here and say it's bullshit, you know, but I don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what the human mind does through powers of suggestion. It's pretty incredible. When you think that we never experience the world directly, we only ever experience the world through our senses. And our senses are mediated by our brains, which are the most complex objects in the known universe. And then you factor in the powers of imagination and suggestion, hallucination, all these different things. I think that is an incredible font of imagery and all sorts of things and I don't think it diminishes it just because it's not actually out there in the world because well we 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 don't know you know
0: of knowing whether it's out whether it's actually really definitively out there because we only we can only know what our senses will tell us
1: well this is the thing and this is why you know this is into you know, so there's so many different sides of this you know psych, uh, psychotropic drugs and um dreams and fugue states and all these sorts of things you know we we do experience the world through our senses we that is tempered by our brains and there is so much there are so many degrees of suggestion and invention and imagination and i think that's a pretty that's pretty incredible. Why is it less incredible that we have this squishy thing in our heads that makes us see ghosts than the idea that ghosts are actually out there? I genuinely don't think that that's less impressive. And this is, this applies as well to religion. Um, Mm -hmm. You know why I remember when I was, uh, I visited Orkney, we went to St. Magnus's cathedral, which is the main cathedral on uh, mainland as it's called, even though it's an Island um, in Kirkwall, the capital. And I stood, I don't know my church bits very well, but I basically stood at the center of the cross that the building forms. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Stood inside you have the, the knaves, the bit that go, I don't, I'm really, you, you went to a monk school. You should know all the church yeah, bits. Well,
0: our, our church was a weird spaceship shape. It wasn't cross shaped.
1: I want to find out what it is. Now. I don't know
0: so, if there's a word for al- yeah.
1: Alcoves.
0: Yeah. Here we go. Church. You were you
1: were in the um. Come on. The bum crack. What were we, I was in the church. I was in the bum crack of the church. Yeah. I was. Oh, that doesn't tell me shit. Well, sh- Oh no. Here we go. I was in. I was at the 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 crux formed by the nave and the transept. Nave. You're right. Yeah. The nave is the it seems to be the main long bit of the church, and then the crossy bit is the transept. I not uh, know that. So I was right in the middle and I was looking up at this rose window. And I just stood there for what I thought was like 2 minutes. Um just looking up at it and just thinking and I was placed squarely there was a there was a cross uh engraved into this flagstone that I was standing on. And I was standing more or less center and I did I did do it on deliberately but it was only to sort of stand tidily if you know what I mean I wasn't yeah. I wasn't trying to do anything. But I um I thought I was standing there for two minutes, but I was standing there for half an hour. just like staring up at this thing. And I am not Christian. I was brought up in a Christian country. I have been to church for various life events like christenings and things like that. I have been christened myself. Um, and I was there with a friend and they just wondered what I was doing. And people were moving around me. And I wouldn't say that I was gripped by something because again, that's something that says it's something external, but I was intensely interested in what was happening between what I was seeing and in my brain. And that kept me in that spot, or I chose to stay in that spot and stay that interested Mm. in what was a window for half an hour. And I couldn't tell you if I felt anything or anything like that, because again, that makes it external and I don't think it is, but there was something in me which caught me unaware. And I thought that that was wonderful. Mm. And I don't need to, I don't need to call that God or, or say that it was specifically a Christian church that made me do that. Um, but the space was designed in such a way to make me feel awe. Yeah, and, and a lot of
0: religion is is about conflating those two things, isn't it? It's about institution and history um, and all those kind of things that, that yeah, bring those ideas, that those feelings that you're talking about into time and space, into a way that people can easily quantify and understand them because what you're you're talking about is something that is actually very very difficult to understand you know thinking about why you're in that state it's almost like a, a sort of zen like meditative state um you know I, I i meditate every day and that sounds a bit along like the feeling that i have when i meditate even though my eyes are closed but it's getting at something that's not that easily quantifiable
1: hmm. well i'm i love i love churches i always had Whenever I go into one I try to put as much money as I can into the collection box because I'm supporting the building and mm-hmm. regardless of whether I'm Christian or not, they're a feature of the historical and national landscape and also of my mental landscape. And actually on uh on the campus of my university, or just as part of the campus, is the parish church. It's a lovely, quite large church. And it's a church that thankfully is still open in the middle of the day. It's open all day. Um, a lot of them aren't anymore because you leave a door open and lots of gold ornament knocking out, yeah. That's going to go. And it's empty, completely empty every day. And when I can, I go for, usually go for a long walk every lunchtime and I will go into the church. I think it's the quietest place I've been all week. Invariably. Um, and, and the wonderful. smell is just incredibly evocative of so many different things. And I just sit, I just sit and I look, and I come out of there feeling incredibly peaceful. Now, that is the role of the building, and that is the role of the humans who built that building and designed that building and designed the faith around that building. I don't ascribe it to God or anything supernatural, yep. but I can't deny the feeling. And the fact that human beings can produce that and the weight of history and tradition can produce that in me. I felt, I find this when, when you go to particularly old religious centers, like going to Rome and things like that and going into some of these Catholic churches. Um, it's a weight of humanity. It's not a weight of anything else. Mm. Um, and it's beautiful and it's necessary and we should treasure it, but we should treasure it. I feel personally i feel we should treasure it as a human achievement not as a what you're you're
0: getting at there is that 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 feeling and those things don't have to be associated with deities or dogma or a lot of these kind of things actually it's kind of a a general human thing and that's why i like zen so much because that's what zen then teaches that it's not about saying that you know some god or some being or whatever created this it's about we're here on this earth there are these things you're going to feel you know you're part of all this take some time to reflect on that and have this space to think about that because it will you know it will make you feel peaceful and it will it will help you be mindful of that and thus help you lead a more open and reflectful
1: life. Mm. Zen is quite singular within the Buddhist tradition because even though Buddhism professes no gods well some 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 Tibetan strains of Buddhism too, that, um, you know, they, they they do, even though they're not gods, they profess to the existence of a supernatural realm or some sort of numinous sphere that surrounds life, that is beyond life. Yeah. And I think still that's that's a negation of the human brain and the human... Experience, and that really—that's what we're celebrating, and that's what we're explaining. And it doesn't—I'm not trying to reduce it, but I don't think um, it—it—it—it—it matters that it's created by our brains. Why is that? Why is that? Why do we feel that brains are such mundane, earthly things? They're not. They're fucking mad. We don't understand Mm. them at all. You know, I've been learning this so much more doing this PhD you know the extent to which we understand the human brain is is improving every day but but there's still so there much is, more that we have to learn there's so much more we have to learn and and
0: learning that is that, a, is in fact our life's work isn't it
1: well yeah it is and it's the work of many many different strains of science um you, and i'm sure you, i'm um, not saying that you can't possibly i'm not saying you can't delineate the entire human experience scientifically but i imagine it's going to be if we can do it it's going to be fucking difficult Mm. and it might require huge cognitive leaps and huge changes of framing as to how life works before we can understand it maybe we won't be able to understand it with current paradigms i don't know
0: i don't think we will get there in our lifetime certainly i think maybe if things if humanity moves to focus on that we could get there in maybe a few centuries or maybe even another millennia if we haven't nuked the planet before then. But I don't think we can get to that point in our lifetime. Not in a pessimistic way. I think it's
1: it's possible. I just don't think it will happen. Well, it depends what that point is, doesn't it? It depends if... I think we can get to the point in our lifetimes where we have mapped the human brain and we have mapped neurons and we have, we understand the electrical, or we can ma- not understand, sorry, we can map the electrical impulse, impulses that are taking place across synapses between neurons when certain things are happening in the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's, I don't think there's any reason we can't do that. You're right. And I, I've, I've
0: made that statement having very little knowledge of
1: neuroscience. So, or basically well, you know, I, I basically, I also no have knowledge, very of neuroscience. knowledge of neuroscience. Okay. But with my naive understanding, it's a, it really, that seems to be more of a question of computation. That's really, we need resources to crunch simulations, Mm. but whether that represents understanding, you know, the map is not the territory and the being able to delineate or, or represent how something works doesn't mean that we understand it. Mm. And I don't, I don't want to be a Luddite about this or, or say that or mystic about it because it, I, I don't necessarily think it is something mystic that makes the human brain so incredible, but being able to map it, does that change our human experience? Does it change the hallucinations? We have the imaginings, the daydreams, the night dreams, all these things. Does it change their significance? If we can say here is a simulation of a human brain and we are going to create an electrical impulse in it, which is exactly the same as one where you're falling in love. I, I don't know. It's I don't know. It, I don't
0: know that it does. Like that. No, it's um. It always. It reminds me of the towards the very end of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Have you? you did you? Did you read all the Potters back in the day?
1: No, I did not. Oh, no shame. They're, I, uh, they're really
0: good. Really good.
1: I got bored. I got bored with them after about the sixth book. I, it was more the writing style than anything else. I just. I was. I was quite young, and I think I was less tolerant of reading backwards if you see what i mean yeah yeah Uh, because i was young i wanted to sort of prove that i could read you know above my my age level and so i thought well i'm not going to sit here and um uh and read something which is not very advanced at all
0: because that one came out between our first year and our second year in the summer i remember it very well because yeah i stayed in exeter for that summer and i was working in the kitchen in the halls but i took the day off to read that book and it arrived at like eight Oh, really? in the morning and I I got the Amazon the Amazon package and I was so excited. And I sat there all day and had a little cry. But there's a moment towards the end of the book, spoiler alert if you haven't read it or seen the film and maybe ignore the next minute or so. There's not really a big spoiler alert, but there's a bit where um Voldemort basically kills Harry. Um but he doesn't. He comes back to life and then defeats him obviously. Um but um, there's a bit between while Harry is sort of essentially dead, he sees Dumbledore in a sort of a dream thing. Um, and Dumbledore yeah. talks to him and he gives him some advice. Dumbledore having died in the previous book, spoiler alert again. <laughs> but, um, and they, they have a little bit of a chat and Harry says to him, um, you know, is this real or is it happening inside my head? And Dumbledore says, yes, it's happening in your, inside your head, but why should that mean that it is not real? And that has become mm. one of the most famous Harry Potter quotes. And I think that hints at the fact that actually people are starting to to realise that, you know, yes, it's all happening inside our heads. It's, it's all absolutely happening inside the brain. You know, the map is not the territory, but who cares? Because it's a good map.
1: Well, exactly. I am. Um, yeah, I it's. It comes down to perspective, I guess, and it comes down to how you frame the experiences you're having. And are you using Google
0: Maps up. or are you using Bing?
1: <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> you know, you're, It's different ways of conceiving things. And I don't think it. it's not that I think, uh, well, I might think that it's wrong to use, to prescribe it to something external, but that's just the personal opinion. It's not actually wrong to do that. It's just a way of thinking about the experience you're having of being human. And the suggestion that's being placed in your head by other people around you, as all of us, all of us are influenced by um, whether or not we're religious, whether or not we're part of an actual community, we're influenced. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's for that reason that I have always had a bit of a problem with with atheism, because that's it just seems too nihilistic to me. But it also seems to say that we can know definitively that there is no deity or being or whatever out there, and I think there's no way we can actually know that
1: well, I think that's but it's just another way of perceiving, isn't it? It's a reaction to other people's perception of their own experience, and I mean there's lots and lots of different str- strands of atheism, yes, and yes. some of them are personally personally denying of a of a deity, others try to be political or social about it, and say you know religion th- th- those are those are more political and social movements rather than a, uh, a theological position is whatever whatever the case may be of god the church is the problem not god yeah. um, or the idea of god and it's um, very very
0: hard to extricate which, that from
1: from the politics of
0: that as you say
1: which is you know which is why you know this is why the ch- the, the religion is so powerful organized religion because it is somebody explaining to you what your ex- what the experience of being human means and framing it in a system which to my, my mind is ludicrously prescriptive and ludicrously over-logicized. i mean if you I, I, you know personally with the christian church i feel you know the explanations they give for being human are woefully inadequate mm. you know they they you know they're about this 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 man who was a son of god and then this happened in a remote part of the world and then this and then this and you just think that's that really reduces what it is to be human around the world personally that's how i feel um
0: that was the thing that always bothered me most about christianity growing up catholic i'm I, you know i mostly connected with it and genuinely did believe in it most of the time <laughs> um but the, this whole kind of idea that god works in mysterious ways there's the thing that I could never get, I could never agree with and never get on board with and that there genuinely is no answer to why bad things happen to good people and vice versa. You know? Mm. Mm. And the idea that I... you're supposed to just accept that um, as a part of being human, I yeah, I just think, no, no, thanks. I don't want it to rain on me. I don't want to have to eat dill. I don't want to have a wasp chase me in the park. I don't want there to be jellyfish oh. when I go in the sea, you know?
1: It's all part of God's plan. Jellyfish are part of God's plan, probably. Yeah. And their plan is for all of them to, on the day of your death, you'll be lying on the beach, and God will send them all in one giant jellyfish that will smother you, and you will die inside the thing that you hate the most. <laughs> that is what will happen. Also, I'm not. I'm not already dead.
0: I'm going to die a horrible, painful jellyfish death. You're
1: saying. It will happen. It will happen. <laughs> you will die... Suffocating inside the jelly of a jellyfish, oh. which has just recently eaten an enormous dill sandwich
0: there's some um, Hayao Miyazaki's next film
1: it is yeah it's it's called uh the Death of Paddy oh, he's retired, hasn't he? Well, he says that I don't think he has yeah there's a d there's a very good documentary about the making of uh of the wind rises. Um, oh, is that? Oh, yeah. You should pick it up. It's, I have not um, seen it. It's called the. In fact, I will show you. I think it's called. No, I won't. That was bad for the podcast. I keep forgetting we're not just having a chat. Well, um, I, I can always edit, edit it out. Called, I can remember it. It's called the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Goodness. It's um, it's made by Studio Ghibli, or it's sorry, it's published by Studio Ghibli. Um, it's a very, it's very interesting. Uh, if you like Studio Ghibli, you'll like this. Um. But I don't think he will retire. Yeah. He probably I can't. Think keep maybe away. he'll take a more of a back. He won't do so much, but he um I don't think he can. I don't think he can retire completely from no. it. Maybe I'm wrong, but the impression I get is that he will he will struggle to give up his life's work. I mean it's he's of an age now where it's arbitrary whether he stops or not you know it's not he's not stopping to retire at a certain date you know it's whether he wants to or not you know he could carry on doing it for another 10 years 15 years if he wanted to yeah I'm sure he could um, at whatever pace he wants to take it I at. I do think he I do think The Wind Rises was designed to be his last film and possibly he wrote that, he wrote it that way but whether it will be or not I don't know, I think if I was in his position it would be irresistible to keep making films
0: Absolutely, the, the Wind Rises did feel like an epitaph but at the same time I still felt like it le- left the
1: door open Yeah, well it was a, it was a circling back to the origins of his interests the origins of I mean the studio is named after one of the planes of the Italian inventor mm. in, Oh no, sorry, it was named after the engine one of the engines in the Italian planes that you see in Porco Rosso and uh, yeah. and in The Wind Rises when he uh, had daydreams of the Italian aviator. Aviation. The,
0: the word Ghibli in Italian means some kind of storm wind, does it? That's it's, it. Like, <laughs> it's like some kind of apocalyptic fart. Ghibli
1: in Italian.
0: I think, or I think um, he maybe mis- I misinterpreted the pronunciation, but I think that's the, what the word means.
1: It's, I think, yeah, I do think it's a, it's a wind. It's a particularly, it's a particular Mediterranean wind. Oh yes, because you get the, there are these winds that come from different places um, across the Atlantic. You can get the Sirocco wind, Mm -hmm. uh, there's some other, and then the Ghibli, which comes from uh, the Arabic Ghibli or Qibli meaning south south or southern Mm. um and it's the wind which is responsible for the dry dusty conditions on the mediterranean coast of north africa and yeah wow very interesting
0: what a great thing to call Uh, your studio after
1: exactly but that was what you know that was what interested him originally and then he's come back to it so maybe it's starting again maybe it's finishing i don't know
0: yeah Interesting, it seems like teenagers are into Studio Ghibli, because um, this morning I was at a school in North London giving some careers talks, um, it oh, was like a higher education thing, um, and they bring me in as a guy to talk about English and cultural studies, so they they go to hear about a guy who talks to them about English and just studying books, and then they get in the room with me, and it's like, "What? how do you all feel about Kanye West, yeah? But, um <laughs> I get them I open the session by saying like write down you know what you think are the like kind of best books and films and TV shows of all time and then things that they think are their favorites and things they think are good and bad in culture and then we just have a big discussion about why they think things are good and bad and you know when you're 16 and you've only really done your GCSEs you've probably never really had those kind of conversations before the response is always is always really really great and really fun and really engaging um, but more than one of the mentioned Studio Ghibli films as kind of pinnacles of storytelling, which I thought was really, was really really great. They like, they like Spirited Away, they like Howl's Moving Castle, and when they mentioned that, everyone else in the class went, yeah, so beautiful, oh, like, yeah, Ghibli occupies a really, really important and cool cultural space, and every time I watch a film, it always kind of hits me in that way more than I expect it to, you know, I just
1: think it's so wonderful. So do I. I love it so much. In fact, I might go and watch a Ghibli film now. I've got all the DVDs on my shelf behind me, mean, and uh, I might do that instead of do any work. I
0: haven't watched The Tale of the Princess Kaguya yet.
1: Oh, it's like really good. Some- it's really beautiful. I mean, Takahata is a completely different filmmaker. Yeah. So it does feel quite different from Miyazaki's films, but it is so beautifully drawn. And so beautifully animated. So, I mean, I really like um, The Neighbors Yamadas, which was another one of his films, which was, I think that's one of my favourite Ghibli films because it's so sparse and economic in its animation. It's fantastic. Just
0: fantastic. He also did Grave of the Fireflies, didn't he? He did, yeah. Which I have only watched once because it was the saddest film that i've ever ever watched and i I've, I've seen some very sad films but i can never remember crying and having that much of a kind of emotional reaction to a tragedy on film as i had when i watched of the fireflies Do
1: you know it shelf. was origi- uh, it was originally released as a double feature with my neighbor totoro no way <laughs> It was released as a double feature.
0: So which one, uh, which one came first? You'd have to put Grove of the Fireflies" I, first, wouldn't you? So that you then get you, you're know. in the sad place, and then you get uplifted by the the cat bus with its swinging
1: testicles. I don't know. I guess that I, I I think uh, either way around, it's going to be a difficult four hours. Um, um, we should we should try we that one I, night. Yeah, when we get together, actually, yeah, we should, yeah, watch yeah, we should films. do. When you when you come visit, we'll 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 do a we'll do a double screening and destroy ourselves because Totoro is sad in its own way yeah yeah the loss of you know the it's a very melancholy film towards the end certainly yeah, yeah. um but uh, have i if i told you i need to go in a second but have mm-hmm. uh, have i told you about or have you seen or maybe Sarah spoke to you about the irish uh the irish animator Irish filmmaker who's really influenced by Ghibli. Oh, who...
0: they've done that film, Song of the Sea. Yes, I watched that recently. I loved <laughs> it. I haven't watched The Book of Kells yet, but I loved Song of the
1: Sea. That was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. The Book of Kells I watched first, and it's um, it's a, I can't I can't really tell which is the better film, but they're both wonderful. And the filmmaker I can't remember his name is he's really uh, outspoken about. Miyazaki being one of his heroes Mm. Um, and you can really tell when you watch his films I especially found that with Song of the Sea it was a lot like Spirited Away
0: Um, it was but at the same time I was absolutely amazed how it managed to really really retain that but also really tap into the Gaelic culture and history and stuff and to get that kind of those kind of those kind of folk tales and the aesthetic of that really right as well in a way that felt you know nostalgic to me with my sort of vaguely Irish roots (laughs) You know, I have nostalgia for a thing that I don't really know much about, but i still yeah, con- yeah, connected with it on that level. Um, well, my, yeah, I loved it, absolutely loved it. My mum
1: just—I uh, for an unrelated thing—I asked her to draw out our Irish ancestry because she's mm. a genius, geneal- or she has done a lot of genealogy, and um, yeah, it's her thing. Right? I asked her to draw to draw it out. Um my family's all from County Monaghan, um, and yeah it 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 did it was weird i mean I don't feel a lot of connection to that side of the family or that part of my history um but it was an extremely resonant film and just so beautifully made we saw it at a picture house which somehow always makes those those sorts yeah. of films look better i think just going mm-hmm. the idea the the surroundings really help i think going to an odeon would would I wouldn't enjoy it as much. Yeah, i um, might be quite snobby of me, but again, that's the human brain, right? It's changing my perspective on, the world, yeah. uh, on that part of the world. Um, well, the Odeon did not spoil The Force Awakens for me. No, no. But, uh, that's kind of the place you need to see it, really, isn't it? Yeah, Big multiplayer.
0: It was better the second time when I went at 10.30am on a Saturday and there was no one there apart from me and a dad with his daughter who cried when um, Han Solo, spoiler alert, and Han Silo died. There's there's a lot of crying, and I felt I was like, I know how you feel, kid.
1: <laughs> that was me. That was me the other day. because yeah. <laughs> even though
0: even though I knew it was coming, it still I still found it really shocking in that moment as well. Anyway, we don't we don't have a have a Star Wars chat again, but unless it's about we can have it. tell you what, Dan we'll...
1: and the modal notes. <laughs> <laughs> We're good, Dan. I love that, that band that has you know. Fifteen seconds of music in the uh, in the cantina scene yeah. has an entire backstory. Oh, wait, I thought, should, I thought I... of a
0: callback, a, a callback to something you talked about earlier on in the podcast. Um, John Williams, I think, either didn't want to or couldn't be asked to write the cantina music for the the cantina in um, the Force Awakens. You know where they go with the the woman with the yeah. eyes. Um, so the guy who wrote it, Lin Manuel Miranda, the guy who made Hamilton. Oh, really? He did the cantina music in The Force oh, Awakens. Oh, that's
1: interesting. i have to really listen to it. So I think I am going to have to go now, but let's leave this on a cliffhanger yeah. because I really didn't like this The Force Awakens. You didn't like it? Nope.
0: What? That's not what you said to me when you were in my house and we talked about it.
1: No, but I i i was always in two minds about it and i have decided now on in reflection that i didn't like it but we can talk about okay yeah
0: i i have a lot of things to say about that so that's we're gonna we're gonna park that talk about that next time
1: we'll have to park it because we
0: otherwise we'll sit here for ages cool yeah go watch some ghibli i'm gonna go work on my thesis and then go to bed Um, okay it's been been great talking to you man we really really got deep about like religion and stuff that was nice
1: we did we did well it's always nice to talk to you
0: yeah and let me know about when we can when we can come and visit and when you're free to of course do yeah weekend, see.
1: we could do a we could do a guest podcast in the derbyshire dales or uh on the road podcast <sighs> that'd be Dale. nice we'll,
0: yeah record us both in the same room that'd be,
1: yeah. that would be a novelty mm. <laughs> all right then all right okay see you soon, okay. see you soon. Yeah. bye-bye bye, bye. bye of course it's happening inside your head harry why should that mean that it's not real